0: We had finished up Mark chapter 1 a couple of weeks back, and then we had had Easter, and so we spent some time talking about the uh, last few days of Jesus' life and His death and His resurrection. And now that we are past Easter, we are going to jump right back into Mark, Mark chapter 2. We'll look at the first uh, 12 verses this morning, Lord willing, we'll make it all the way through. Just a quick recap of chapter one. We were uh, introduced to Jesus in his ministry there in the second half of Mark chapter one. That's what we had talked about uh, the last couple of weeks. We were in Mark and we talked about Jesus and the healings that he was doing. Uh, He had had some disciples that he had called to follow him. And Jesus was going around and he was healing people. He was casting out demons. And words of Jesus had spread quickly. And so people were coming to him. He could not escape. Uh, he, he first time they all began to, to seek him out, he had been able to kind of escape to a deserted place for a little while to pray to the Father, uh, but then even later on as we read, we saw that even in the deserted places that he were, uh, went to, uh, he was not able to escape the crowds. Uh, he didn't linger around in one place for too long. He spent his time in his ministry uh, for those three and a half years or so on the earth going from place to place because he did not come to heal. He came to preach the message. He came to preach the word. He came to prepare people. He came to let them know uh, that the kingdom of God was at hand. And so Jesus was faithful to, 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 to do that mission, to carry that out. Now, he did heal many people. He did cast out uh, many demons throughout that time that he was doing his ministry. But his main goal, his main focus uh, was to uh, preach and teach the word to the people, to let them know that the kingdom of God had come. Now in chapter 2, uh, we continue on uh, uh, kind of along those same lines of Jesus' healing and the people coming to Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When he entered Capernaum again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the message to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic, carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof from where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus understood in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, picked up the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and I pray that your words would speak to us today. God, I pray that as we've heard your word read and as we focus on it and think about it in these next few minutes, God, I pray that we would see Jesus for who he is. That we would recognize his authority, dear Lord. As he tried to show those who were seeing him years ago when this event took place, God, they were he was trying to show them his authority, who he was, dear Lord. And I pray that as we read the same words that we see, the same Jesus, that we see that he is the one in authority, that he is the Messiah, God, that he is your son. And God, I pray that you would just take away any nerves, any pride, any worries, any things that that may be in my heart, God, that may hinder me from preaching and teaching in a way that's going to bring glory to you. I pray that you would remove those things from the hearts of each one in here, if there's anything that we brought into this place. And I pray, God, that you help me to be a a good preacher of your word this morning, that I would bring out truth in your word, and that everything that is preached in this place today would bring glory to you. I pray that you hide me behind the cross. Give me the words to say. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Here we are introduced to a story that maybe some of you have heard. It's a pretty amazing story, a story of, of four friends who had, a, who had a friend who was a paralytic and, and, and they couldn't get in to see Jesus because the crowds were so big that they removed the roof from the building that Jesus was in, and that's the story we, look, we are looking at today. Let's look in more detail at these scriptures and kind of break down uh, this passage and what it says. <clears throat> in verse 1, When he entered Capernaum, again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Now, I don't know where home was for Jesus. It could be that when it says Jesus was at home, maybe he had a place that he called home. Perhaps it was Peter's home. They had been in Peter's home earlier in Mark when they went and Jesus healed Peter's uh, mother-in-law. So I don't know where this home was or who this home belonged to. But wherever this home was and whoever it belonged to, it was a place that, at least in Mark's opinion, was a place that was the home of Jesus and his disciples as they would come around. Now, they had been in Capernaum before, earlier on, in the book of Mark, in chapter 1, and they had gone on to some different places, but here they had come back again. They had come back to this place that Mark would call home, a place that they would gather at. Now... People probably knew where this home was. They probably knew that Jesus and the disciples would gather at this place called home. And when word came that Jesus was at home, naturally the, cl- the crowds began to flow in pretty quickly. Now this is something that we saw happen almost instantaneously, as I mentioned earlier in Mark chapter 1, and and something we see continually through Jesus' ministry. Uh, So once Jesus began to do the work and began to be on mission for the Lord, the crowds were always flocking to him wherever he was. Let's read a little further. Verse 2. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the message to them. Now, people had gathered around this house, possibly inside the house. The text isn't clear there. So maybe Jesus was kind of uh, at the doorway, and the people were gathered around the doorway, and it filled up, and there were people on uh, outside the house. Perhaps people had initially started coming into the house to see Jesus and the crowd grew that you couldn't even get close to the door I don't know if the people were in the house are or, or simply around the house but the point being here that mark is making is the crowd was huge there were lots of people there it was not easy to get close to Jesus Uh, Jesus had drawn this crowd. Perhaps some had come to hear the word. As it said, Jesus was preaching the word to him. Jesus was doing exactly what the Father had sent him to do. He was preaching the message. He was speaking the word to the people. And the people had come to listen. Now some had probably come to listen to what Jesus had to say. Others had probably come just to be healed. So here we have this big, The scene is set for us. Jesus and the disciples are at this place that Mark would refer to as home. Uh, there's a large crowd that has assembled. Uh, they are all around the house. It's not easy to get to where Jesus is. Let's read a little further. Verse 3, Then they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the bat on which the paralytic was lying. Now, isn't that something right there? Now, this is, this is a pretty extreme uh, event that took place. Like, these people were not simply waiting in a line to see Jesus and hoping that maybe he would he would get to them and he would call on them, but instead... They took the initiative. Now, isn't this a beautiful thing that these friends are interceding for their paralytic friend? He can't move. He can't do anything for themselves. They've no doubt heard about Jesus and his powers to heal. And so these four men, they take their paralytic friend that's on this mat. They take him to where Jesus is. And upon arrival there, they see the crowd what are we going to do? We can't get to where Jesus is. And so obviously one of them had the thought, well, we need to come from above. There probably wasn't any people on the roof. And so they decided we need to to do what we can to get our friend in the presence of Jesus so that he may be healed. Now I think that there's a good lesson for us to, to, to take from that little passage of scripture right there and that is that there may be people in our life who need to come to Jesus and God may be calling us or he may have given us the opportunity and the ability to in some way lead them to Jesus. Now perhaps one way that we could do that is Load them up in a car and bring them to church. That's one example that, that we may it bring people into God's house to hear God's word, whether it be at this facility or another facility, wherever uh, we can get someone to hear God's word, that's a good place to get them to, especially if they need Jesus in their life. Now, it may be that there are people uh, who are sick among us, just like these friends had a paralytic friend who was sick among them, and they interceded on his behalf. Now we can do the same thing in prayer and we do that. We always have times that we that we focus on people who need prayer. We do it every Sunday morning before church. We do it every Wednesday night after the sermon. We spend time focusing on those who need prayer. And we say, hey, does anybody have any prayer requests? And we let people share their prayer requests. And what do we do with those? Well, hopefully we pray for those people we intercede for those people we say god this person is sick this person needs to be healed if it's your will dear lord would you heal this person now that's one way that we can intercede for people another way may be that we help bring them to jesus for spiritual healing now In this particular instance, we're talking about a physical healing that took place. But I'll tell you that every one of us in here needs to be healed. And I'm not speaking physically, but I'm speaking spiritually. We are all sick because of our sinfulness. We all need to come to Jesus to be healed because there is no one else or nothing else that can heal us. And so we all must come to Jesus so that we may be healed. Now, some of you in this room no doubt have. I don't know anybody's heart. Hopefully all of you have come to Jesus, but perhaps there are some who have not. Uh, If you have not, you need to know that there is only healing through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The only way that we are healed is by coming to Jesus and recognizing His authority that He is the Son of God and humbling ourselves before Him. Now, sometimes we, we may come to that conclusion by reading Scripture or perhaps for you, it was that somebody introduced Jesus to you. Perhaps someone took you somewhere where Jesus was going to be preached, where the word, where the message was going to be preached. Perhaps it was a friend who who... who, who who they themselves came to you and shared the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. And it may be that, that, that God is not calling you to take someone somewhere else to hear the gospel, but God may be calling you to go take the gospel to them. And here these friends are interceding for their friend who desperately needs Jesus. Now, each one of us in this room need Jesus, and hopefully you found him. And if you've not, I hope you find him today. And we no doubt all have friends or family that we need, that we know that needs to know Jesus. They need to come to Jesus. And so perhaps we need to intercede for our friends a good place to start is prayer. That's the easiest place for us to start. We can pray for our friends and family right now. If you want to, you can you can say a prayer for them right now. God help this brother, uh, this brother of mine, or this sister of mine, uh, or this husband of mine, or this uncle of mine, or this child of mine, or whatever it may be. We can pray to the Lord on their behalf and pray that God would would send people into their life. Pray that God would help them to get into the word. Pray that God would help them to come to a realization that Jesus is Lord. If these friends had not interceded for their paralytic friend, guess what? He probably would not have been healed. If they had not taken him to Jesus, he wouldn't have been healed. Maybe at a later date that's possible. But in this instance, if they had not taken him to Jesus, there would have been no healing that had taken place. Therefore, interceding for those that we know who are sick, whether in a physical sense or in a spiritual sense, I think is beneficial and something we should do. They, was, they were not going to take no for an answer. They didn't just put him on his, on his mat and take him down there and get there and say, Ah, oh, the line's too long. We're turning around and going home. They didn't do that. Instead, they said we must make sure that our friend is in the presence of Jesus so that he could be healed. So they begin uh, to get on the roof. They, they raised the man up on the roof, and they begin to, to take the, the roof apart. Now, I don't know what kind of roof they had back then. Uh, perhaps it was some sticks laid with some, some different branches and leaves and some mud thrown on there. Uh, I don't know what the, what the roofing situation would, would have looked like, but it would probably have been a task. It would have been a chore for them to go through all this work. And you had to make a pretty big hole in the roof. You had to make a hole in the roof that was big enough uh, that that a man laying on a a little bed could be lowered down through. And so they they remove as much of the roof as they need to and they lower the man down before Jesus. Let's read a little further in verse 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is an interesting verse and one that we need to talk about for just a second because here was a man who was physically sick but jesus didn't say you're healed get up and walk instead he chose to say your sins are forgiven now we know because we've already read the passage that jesus had a specific reason for doing these things the way that he did them so here jesus sees this man who was lowered down And it says that seeing their faith, that is the four who had brought the man and lowered him down to Jesus, seeing their faith, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Now we need to be careful not to take this verse out of context in a couple of ways. I think there are a couple of ways that if we were just to read this verse uh, just by itself, that we could, could, could make some assumptions that I don't believe are true there. One is that, that, that we can have faith that could save someone else. I don't think that that's what Jesus is, is saying here, that, that through our faith we can save other people. Now it was through their faith that they lowered the man down that he was healed, uh, but I think we need to be careful not to assume that uh, because of our faith, for instance, let's say that our children will be saved. I believe that each person uh, must make their own personal commitment to Jesus Christ and choose to follow him. Now the men who brought uh, the the paralytic man no doubt had faith or they would not have brought him. But praise the Lord, they did bring him. And Jesus, upon seeing their faith, said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now that begs another question that may come to mind, and that is, was this man paralyzed because of his sins? Maybe Jesus was saying, Your sins are forgiven because this man had sinned and it had caused him to be paralyzed. And Jesus is saying, Hey, Your sins are forgiven, therefore you're not going to be paralyzed anymore. Now, that may be true. I won't discount the fact that I I believe that there probably are times that things that happen to us may be a result of something that we have done. I won't discount that fact. But I do believe we must be very careful when we think about things like that. Because I don't believe that every sickness someone uh, may, may contract is a result of a sin that they've done in their life. And that is, well, we may be tempted to say, oh, that person's really sick with really bad cancer and they're really suffering. Therefore, they must have sinned greatly. I think that's a very dangerous uh, thought for us to have and think about. I do believe that there may be times that there are things that occur and happen to us as a result of our sin, but I do not believe that always to be the case. There are many good Christian men and women who are suffering in this world today from cancer who who have suffered greatly. Maybe even loved ones that we know in the past that that have suffered greatly because of those things. But I don't for a second think that that's God punishing them for what they have done. And I believe it's dangerous for us to begin to look at people and say, well, boy, I know what they do. They must be really sick because of this, because of that, and because of the other. I don't believe that that's at all what Jesus is implying in this verse. And I think that's clear from the context of the whole passage. But if we were to read a verse like this out of context, we may have that same assumption Now, we see in Scripture that this idea of of sin and a physical ailment that was taking place in somebody, uh, this was not an uncommon theme to think that there would be some kind of punishment based on the sinfulness uh, that people committed here in this life, not just in the life to come. Uh, In John chapter 9, Jesus uh, and his disciples encounter a blind man, and his disciples ask him this question, Uh, Jesus for, for what reason is this man blind? Who sinned and caused him to be blind? Was it his mother or was it his father? Now, Jesus would go on to say it was neither his mother or his father. It was so that a work could be done to glorify the Lord. But the thought was there in the disciples' minds. That is, hey, somebody must have sinned. This blindness, this physical ailment may be a result of sin. But Jesus said, nope. That's not the case at all. This happened so that glory could be given to God. Now, we need to remember that. We need to remember that in our times of sickness, and we need to remember that in the times of sickness uh, for those that we may be praying for, for our loved ones that may be going through something. Say, for instance, we don't understand what they are going through, but we need to remember what Jesus said about the man who was blind. Jesus said, look, it was for the glory of God. It was so that God could be glorified that this thing was happening. It may be that whatever we're going through or our friends and loved ones are going through is so that something mighty can be done in their suffering. Perhaps through their suffering, their faith grows. Perhaps through their suffering and being in the hospital and seeing doctors and nurses, they're able to share the love of Christ with them. We don't know. The possibilities are endless, but sometimes God does things that do not make sense to us to bring glory to him. Now, we see that instance in John chapter 9 where the disciples say, well, who sinned? Was it his, was it his mother and father? And Jesus said, neither one of them. Uh, There's another uh, incident that takes place. I can't remember the passage off the top of my head. Uh, Luke chapter 13 uh, verses 4 and 5 where Jesus is talking about a a tower that had fell on 18 uh, Galileans and killed them. And Jesus said, do you think it was because of their sins that this tower fell on them and they had to suffer greatly and that they died? Jesus said, absolutely not. Then he goes on to say, and you who are in Jerusalem will be no better than the Galileans who died if you don't repent and turn to the Lord. Now here Jesus was using a physical event uh, and and, and saying, look, their sins is not what brought this on them. That is, you are going to suffer uh, uh, greatly too if you don't turn from your sinfulness. Don't think that you're better, better than them. Don't think that they are worse sinners than you are. Jesus is using some physical things in the case of the blind man and this tower falling. He's using some physical events to make a spiritual point. And I believe that Jesus is doing the same thing here in Mark chapter 2. So here this man is lowered down, and he is no doubt uh, going to be healed by Jesus. But Jesus says a phrase there that really causes some problems. Son, your sins are forgiven. Let's read a little further and see what happened after this. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now here we see these scribes, and we see the scribes throughout the ministry of Jesus. We see uh, this group that we see mentioned often: the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And their uh, their their views may have differed in some areas, but most of the time, all of when you see these this, this, these three mentioned. Even though they may not have all agreed in their views, they all wanted to disagree with Jesus. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They thought Jesus was a blasphemer, as we can see here in these passages. So here were these scribes, and they were there. Now, I don't know if they were there uh, with good intent or if they were there with ill intent. Perhaps they were there because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Maybe they said, okay, this Jesus is making some waves and we want to see what's going on with this Jesus. And so we're going to go hear what he had to say. Maybe that's why they went. Maybe they went looking for a way to find something against him. That wouldn't surprise me either. After all, we see that a lot throughout Jesus' ministry. We see that those uh, groups of people were always looking to find something against Jesus so that they could uh, find some reason to have him arrested and find some reason to have him uh, put to death. So perhaps these scribes came with good intent to simply hear what he had to say, or perhaps they came with ill intent. Perhaps they came looking for something against Jesus, and lo and behold, they've got something. Whether they came looking for it or not, upon Jesus' words of telling this man, your sins are forgiven, boy, that set them into orbit because they began to think, what is going on here? And they says, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? Now, they, they made two statements there, and they were half right. Now, they were wrong in that he was blaspheming. Jesus was not blaspheming. He was speaking the truth. So they were wrong in one of their statements, but they were right in the other. And that is, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, they, they recognize that it is only the Lord who can forgive sins. But they failed to make that connection that Jesus was the Lord. Now, maybe the, the, the gears should have started turning in their head. Maybe the dots should have started being connected there. Wait a minute. Here we have a man who's done things that have never been done before. Here we have a man that's preaching like no one has ever preached before. And here he is healing people and now he's saying that he's forgiven people, but only God can do that. Now, perhaps they should have started making those connections and connecting those dots, but they weren't really concerned, I don't think, with listening and wanting Jesus to be the Messiah. Instead, they were wanting him to be a blasphemer they wanted him to be someone who was just a horrible how could how could anyone say something like this such a a sinful man how dare he forgive someone of sins now Jesus made that statement about forgiving the man of sins and it definitely got these scribes riled up oh they were excited after hearing that let's see what happens further on in verse 8 right away Jesus understood in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them. Now, I don't know what it means when it says Jesus understood in his spirit. Perhaps this was a supernatural thing that the Lord had placed on his heart. Uh, perhaps he just kind of could sense because he knew, uh, knew what kind of people they were and he knew what they were going to be thinking. Or perhaps God put this thought into Jesus to know exactly what was on the heart of these scribes. He goes on to say why are you thinking these things in your heart now isn't that interesting why are you thinking these things in your heart now that's a good reminder for us that jesus knows what's in our hearts now we making fake people out we making fool other people and make them think that we're oh we're good followers of god and we really care about what god's want god wants and we want to love other people and all these other good things that we making fool people about in our lives But God knows our heart. Here, Jesus knew their heart. He knew exactly what they were thinking. He knew that even though they were religious in some way and probably knew the scriptures very well, probably better than you and I will ever know them, uh, Jesus knew that even though they walked the walk, they didn't talk the talk. Even though they honored him with their lips, their hearts were far from him. And Jesus calls them out. He says, look, why are you thinking this way in your heart? Now guess what? Jesus knows our heart too. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. He knows that you can fake other people out. And you may even fool yourself. You may even have convinced yourself uh, of something that's just simply not true or not right. Uh, But Jesus knows our heart, and we need to examine our heart. We need to check our heart. We need to make sure that we have a heart that is set on, focused on, doing God's will. That is not focused on fooling people to make them think that we're super Christian, but a heart that is really set on Jesus no matter what people may think. And Jesus says, look, I know your heart, and guess what? He still knows our hearts. So even if we have ill intent, even if we uh, have doubt, even if our faith begins to struggle, even if we uh, begin to question things here and there, whatever it may be, God knows our heart, and therefore we need to go before the Lord, and we need to take those things uh, to him that we may struggle with or those things that we may uh, have problems with and say, okay, God, I'm not going to fake it. I'm really struggling in this way. I am a sinner. I may not want to admit it. I may have everybody else fooled, but dear Lord, you know my heart. So therefore, instead of trying to hide it, we simply need to come and repent of whatever may be in our heart. Jesus tells these scribes that he sees their heart. And then in verse 8, excuse me, verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, we must be careful here not to take Jesus too literally. He wasn't really concerned with ease of speech there. He wasn't asking them a, a real question, what's easier. He, he, he wasn't wanting them to, okay, well, let's count the letters and let's see which one's shorter. Let's see which one uh, is the easiest to pronounce. Jesus wasn't saying, well, which one of these phrases is, is the most difficult. Jesus was not concerned with the ease of speech there. He was making a point. He was about to use this physical event to make a spiritual connection to them so that their eyes may be opened and they may understand and see what was taking place. Now, the question of that, uh, excuse me, the answer to that question really is neither. What's easier to say? Well, neither one's easier to say. They're both easy to say. You can say anything you want to. I could say anything I want to. I could say, all right, what do you want? You want a mansion? All right, I, there's a mansion for you in, in this other country. I've got it, I can say that, but it's not actually true. I can say, point to a star in the sky. You want a star? You point to one I'll say, oh, that's your star. What do you want to name? it? We're naming it as yours. I'm giving you that star. Now, I can say those things. I can make those kind of claims. And anybody can say anything. But anything's easy to say. But it's can you do it that makes the difference. Now, that's the point that Jesus was making here. He's saying, look, it doesn't matter what I say. And then he goes on to explain a little more about what he said. It didn't matter what he said, it mattered what he was able to do, and he was about to show them what he could do. Verse 10, But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now Jesus is using this physical event that took place, this physical ailment, He says, look, what does it matter what I say? Is it easier to say one or the other? Nope, it's not easier to say one or the other. But so that you may know that I have authority, now I'm going to say what you want me to say. Now Jesus could have simply come and said, I forgive you of your sins, but they weren't going to recognize that authority. Now, they probably uh, they probably should have been recognizing that to some degree. They probably should have been understanding and recognizing what was going on just by the miracles uh, that, that he was doing, but they needed to be spurred on a little bit. They needed to be jarred a little bit. Perhaps Jesus knew by making the statement, son, your sins are forgiven, perhaps he knew what was going to occur. He knew the thoughts that were going to be in their mind. He knew that maybe they needed that help to make that connection between who he was and the authority that he had. So he says, your sins are forgiven. They say, only God can forgive sins. And he says, but so that you may know that I have the authority, so that you may know that I'm not a blasphemer, so that you may know that I am the son of God, that I am God in the flesh, so that you may do those things, pick up your mat and go, get up, get out of here, go home. And the man got up and he walked out through the crowds and everyone, it says, was astounded. They were astonished at what had taken place. Here was the Messiah. He had come, the one who had been prophesied about for hundreds of years. He had finally come, and some were choosing to accept him, and others were finding ways to find fault with him. Others were finding ways to reject him. But Jesus said, know my authority, he was helping them, I believe, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong in this, but I believe Jesus was helping them to make that connection between who he was. He said that he was the forgiver of sins to get their minds twisting and turning so that he could take that event that took place and say, okay, you want to see what I can do? I can forgive sins. You want to know that I have authority? Watch this. Get up and walk. They should have recognized Jesus' authority by the healings that he was doing, by the demons that he was driving out. After all, the text says on multiple occasions that nothing like what Jesus was doing had ever been done before. No one had ever seen these things before. And here Jesus was giving another little clue, another little piece. He was, he was helping them to see who he was. Now, up until this point, he had driven out demons. He had healed people of the sick uh, the sicknesses that they had, but now Jesus is trying to help them understand what really matters. His authority is not just over the sickness of this world. His authority is not just healing those who were diseased and healing those who were demon-possessed. In a physical sense, Jesus' authority and desire was to heal those who needed healing spiritually. Now, he healed a lot of people physically, but that's not what Jesus' main concern was. Yes, he has authority over our sickness, and I pray that God does heal those that we pray for, those that do have sicknesses. But that's not the most important thing about God's authority. The most important thing about the authority of our Savior is that he has authority to forgive us of our sins. And some of the people of Jesus' day, when they saw this, they missed that point. They missed the significance of that. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They didn't want to accept what Jesus was saying. Now, no doubt, there were many who did follow Jesus. That's for sure. But there were some that didn't. But Jesus shows us in this passage... Not only does he have authority over the worldly things, not only does he have authority over the things of this life, but he has authority over the life to come. Not only does he have authority over sickness, but he also has authority over death. Now, I don't know what's the authority in your life, but we all have a choice to make. Who is our authority? What is our authority? Is there something else that we, that we follow, something else that we devote our, devote our attention to? Is there something else that drives us to do what we do? Is there some authority in our life that's not Jesus? Because guess what? There is no authority apart from Jesus. Jesus Christ is King of kings and He is Lord of Lord. He has sealed His authority by dying on a cross and shedding His blood and being raised three days later by God the Father. Jesus has, has sealed that. He's established that. He has shown that His authority is reigning and will reign for all of eternity. Now, I don't know who's the authority in your life, but I know Jesus wants to be the authority in your life. We need to be humbling ourselves before Jesus. We need to recognize what Jesus says in these words. We need to recognize that he was who he said he was. That he, that he did come to heal, but more importantly, he came to preach the message. That he did heal in a physical sense, but more importantly, he came to heal your soul. He came to forgive you of your sins. He came to make you as white as snow. He came to make you as clean as he can make you. He came to make you pure. He came to cast your sins as far as the east is to the west. And the same man that healed the paralytic that was dropped down through the roof is the same man, the son of God, who can heal you for all of eternity. Now, Jesus is the only one in this world who has authority. But who has authority in your life? If it's not Jesus Christ, I tell you today, you need to recognize who He is. You need to know that so you can see the Son of God has authority, we need to recognize who He is. And we see that through all of the miracles He did, through all the words that He preached through us in God's Word. We see that He is who He said He was. We see it all throughout the Scriptures, and let us not be those who miss it. The people of Jesus' day, they continually miss these little things. At least some of them did. Even in this passage, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now, this should have been a clue to them as well. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, uh, there's a prophecy about the Son of Man coming. And guess who that prophecy is about? It's about Jesus Christ. And Daniel refers to this figure, that he, as he sees, as a Son of Man. Now, Jesus refers to himself, as you will see if you read through the New Testament as the son of man I think over 70 times I think Jesus refers to himself as the son of man more than he refers to himself uh, by any other title even the clue was there that they should have known okay what did Daniel say in his book what did he say about the one who was coming who was he called he was called the son of man and here Jesus refers to himself as the very son of man Jesus was giving them clues. He was guiding them. He was leading them. He was helping them to know who He was. And guess what? Our Bible that we read is full of Jesus telling us the same truth. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, those pages are continually telling us about who Jesus is. All the way from the prophecies in the Old Testament, all the way till everything that Jesus did in the New Testament. All those things are pointing us to Jesus. They are more than clues. They are truth that is pointed out for us to let us know that when we read these words, where the authority lies, and it lies with Jesus Christ, and he has that authority by shedding his, life, uh, shedding his blood on the cross, uh, giving his life for you, and I want to ask you, who's your authority today? If Jesus isn't the authority in your life, then you need to make him your Savior and make him your authority and humble before him today. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, I thank you for uh, your words, and I pray that you would just uh, bless these words today, and I pray that you help us not to miss the significance of what took place here, dear Lord. There were some that did miss that significance. There were some that questioned who you are, but dear Lord, let us be those who read your word and see what you do and hear what you do. Let us be those who recognize you for who you are. God, let us know that you are the Son of God. Let us know that you are, that you have the authority the authority to forgive us of our sins, dear Lord. You weren't just a man that said you could forgive sins, but you were a man that proved it and saw to it that that could take place by the shedding of your blood. So God, I pray that if there's one in this room today that has never accepted you, God, maybe they realize today for the first time that they are sick and need to be healed. God, I pray that you would just help them just just to come to you. I pray that they would come come to Jesus that they would be healed of their sins, dear Lord, because there is healing in no one else. God, I pray that maybe there are some in our life, some that we know, some that you put in our path. And dear Lord, maybe they are sick. Maybe they're sick physically. Maybe they're sick spiritually. They're lost without you. And God, I pray that you would help us to to be faithful friends to intercede on their behalf, dear Lord. We know that they need Jesus, even if they may not realize it. And God, maybe they need a little help. So God, I pray that you would help us to intercede for those God, in our prayer life, that we pray for the sick, that we pray for those who are lost. God, maybe you give us the opportunity and the ability to share something with them. Maybe it's not in the words that we say necessarily, but maybe it's just in the way that we love them, in the things that we do, in the way that they see us live our life, dear Lord. God, maybe there's something you can use us for and help us to intercede for those people to help bring them to you. Dear Lord, maybe it's inviting a friend to church or to Bible study or to something we've got going on, dear Lord. Whatever it may be, I pray that you would help us to be there to stand up for those who are our friends, those who don't know you, dear Lord, those who need you. Help us to intercede on their behalf, dear Lord. I pray that you help us to search our own hearts. God, you know our hearts. You know what's there uh, that shouldn't be there. And God, we probably do too. So help us just to repent of those things, whatever they may be. And God, I pray that everybody in this room would leave here today knowing that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is the authority and always will be the authority. And God, I pray that each one in this room would make him the authority of their life. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.